0: They are our 11 Warriors. Yes, they are the 11 Warriors. The most disciplined and the toughest damn dudes you're ever going to be around. Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Andy Anders as we have made it. It is game week for Ohio State football. Andy, how excited are you to see some actual football on Saturday in Bloomington?
1: I can't lie, Dan. I'm pumped. I, I don't know if that uh, th- that compromises my journalistic integrity at all. I'm just excited to watch college football. My favorite part of this job is is game days and get, getting to go to different stadiums or just being back in the shoe and in uh, taking in the atmosphere. There's nothing like that. Just that feeling you get in your chest when tens of thousands of people are getting raucous for a college football game and the band's on the field. And yeah, it's it's my favorite part of this job and uh, you know, I, 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 I couldn't be looking more forward to it, to be honest with you.
0: Well, I'm pumped too. So, uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, uh, just cause we're journalists doesn't mean we can't have a little fun and, and enjoy football season. And I think certainly, uh, as, as college football fans, both of us, we're, we're very excited for uh, college football season to be back in full swing, uh, kind of started this past weekend with week zero, but you know, I can't lie. I, I can't say I really got all that into the week zero stuff, but Now it's like football season is really here. And with football season being here, Ohio state finally has a starting quarterback, at least for the first game, as we learned on Tuesday that Andy's guy, Kyle McCord will be the starting quarterback for the season opener against Indiana.
1: Yes. My guy. Yeah. No, um, you know, I, I think, Kyle's consistency won out in the end right that's what they said at the press conference today Um, the last two weeks uh, again from what they said or when Kyle kind of took control got a little bit of separation not a sizable gap as as they put it but uh, enough to be named the starter Um, and it it was about all those things he's been talking about you know all offseason right it wasn't the big flashy plays that were going to get somebody to be named the job it was just i think mccord again it was the consistency right you know making the throws you need to make making the uh, right decisions taking care of the football command of the huddle those those sorts of things and look again as i've said all off season the kid's got a cannon um and i I think ohio state fans are going to enjoy watching him throw to this group of receivers because i mean the weapons he has around him I think it's, it's still like you're still you still prognosticate a, a fantastic year for whoever's um, under center. But competition isn't completely over yet. They said Devin Brown will play against Indiana. And, uh, you know, there's still definitely a scenario where Devin is the starting quarterback for this team by the Notre Dame game. Notre Dame game is just right now. It seems like it's Kyle's job to lose.
0: Yeah, I thought it was interesting the way that Ryan Day described it on Tuesday because I wouldn't have been surprised if Ryan Day said, Kyle's our starter because the battle's still even and he's the most experienced guy. So we're going to give the most experienced guy the first snap. But that's not the way he portrayed it. The way he portrayed it was, Kyle's been more consistent over the past two weeks and he earned the job. And so I think that's notable the way that he described it because I think he we, we talked about it last week. The way he talked last week seemed like he was leaving the door wide open for the competition to go either way. Now, I still think the door is open for Devin Brown, but not the same way it was a week ago. I, I think now Kyle's in that pole position. I think Kyle goes in. You know, he's the starter for at least one week. And I think now he goes into this game that if he goes out there and he performs up to his ability, he he can keep that job. You know, I think it's not a situation here where as soon as he slips up the first time, then Devin Devin's going to go in and get the job. Now, like you said, Ryan Day did say that Devin Brown is going to play against Indiana. He said he wants to get Devin Brown meaningful reps against Indiana. So this competition's not over. And we know the way these things go, that if... If Kyle struggles on Saturday, people are going to want to see Devin Brown. And if Devin Brown comes in and he plays well, then Ryan Day is going to have to decide, okay, do we want to stick with Kyle McCord as our starter for the next game? And if he does, then he's going to have to be able to defend that decision. So there's still a lot of ways this thing can go, like you said. But it did feel today, for the first time all preseason, that Day was setting the table for Kyle McCord to be the guy. Now, Kyle McCord has to go out and show that he actually is the guy.
1: Yeah, um, you hit the nail right on the head with that. And I, I think, you know, there's a lot of prognosticating out there, as you expect from, you know, a fan base as large, diverse, um, emphatic as Ohio State, fanatical, I guess, you know, to, to use the term that fan comes from. It, it, there was, it was just crazy, I guess, to see, you know, some of the reaction on social media, in the in comment sections of our stories, and just wherever, a whole wide array of people who, believe in McCord who don't believe in McCord who think that there's a chance that McCord this is a just how close this competition is right so um I'm curious to see how long of a leash um McCord gets if he does struggle I think that leash will be longer than people expect because look it's no matter who which one of them wins the job Either one of them, I think you expect to have some hiccups. Like, it's their first time starting. Neither of these guys have thrown more than 50 passes or so in their collegiate careers. Cord only threw 20 last year, and then he had to start against Akron as a freshman. Devin hasn't played hardly at all, except to hand the ball off, pretty much. So I I think there's going to be hiccups, whoever it was going to be. How long of a leash do you give a guy, and how quickly do you expect them to assimilate? Because look, the first three defenses you play— really bad really bad by the metrics we'll we'll get into that with indiana in a minute just some interesting stats that i dug up this week when i was writing our five uh, five things to know piece, weekly five things to know piece about you know kind of that's the first preview uh, piece we write for a game and but it it just how how long of a leash does mccord get if, if he struggles and you know there is Definitely a scenario, too, where he comes in, sets the world on fire. It helps to have such chemistry with Marv from high school, you know, those those two won multiple state championships together and can probably bolster each other's recruiting standing just based on their individual talents. Right. But me personally, I think Cord might have a few times when he looks a little green. Early on, but I think he's going to be successful on the whole. I think he's going to find his stride, and I I like his leadership ability, something that they pointed to today. He's got a good knowledge of the game, good command of the huddle. So those things uh, should add up to him holding on to this job if he plays up to his ability. I don't know if you know your thoughts are similar, Dan.
0: It's a very delicate balance here, right? Because I think back to two years ago when C.J. Stroud is a first-year starter, and C.J.'s second game. Ohio State loses to Oregon. And even though I don't think CJ played badly in that game, there were a lot of people after that game, if you can remember, who were calling for Kyle McCord to be the starting quarterback at the time when Kyle McCord was a true freshman. And then two weeks later, CJ sits out the Akron game because of a shoulder injury. And I remember a lot of Ohio State fans are thinking, this is Kyle's opportunity. He can go in there and steal the job. Kyle goes in, he wins Big Ten Freshman of the Week honors so there could have been a valid case there for giving Kyle another shot but Ryan Day stuck by CJ he was resolute that CJ was the guy and obviously by the end of the season he was proven absolutely right on that as CJ went on to be Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year Heisman Trophy finalist broke several Ohio State passing records Ryan Day has to be strong in terms of when he believes he has a guy, he, he has to be strong and standing behind that guy. I think I, you, you, we talked we've talked about 2015 before, you don't, you don't want to go into a situation where you're going back and forth all year long. And anytime a guy struggles, you, you're flipping the switch to be other guy. That's, that's not how building a cohesive offense works. And so, you know, as we talked about last week, like they're going to give Devin a chance to play in this game because they feel Devin has earned that. And I don't disagree with that decision because I mean, again, like we sitting here right now really don't know who the better quarterback is because we've seen Kyle start one game at the collegiate level. We haven't seen Devin throw a single pass at the collegiate level. So we really don't know. You know, Ryan day has said over and over again, he thinks this thing's going to play itself out. So in the first few games, it could become clear that one guy is further along than the other, and that guy's the starting quarterback, and that ends the drama. It could also be a situation where they both have their good moments and bad moments. And then, and in that case, Ryan Day is then going to need to be assertive in terms of making a decision and then standing behind that guy as long as he believes that guy. You know, I think that's the whole question here is. Is this something that's going to kind of linger under the surface all year? Or is this going to be a matter of somebody goes out there, they win the job, they secure it, and that's that, and we all move on? Because like I said, if, if Kyle goes out there and he lights the world on fire, then this conversation is going to go away. Then Kyle's going to be the guy. It's it's if he struggles or if they both play and Devin looks as good or better, that's what's going to keep this thing going. So we really can't know that. We We can only predict how it might play out. But I do think, you know, to your point that I I, I do think you need to give Kyle some leash. Like, I don't, I don't think it's fair to Kyle. If you name him a starter now, and then, you know, let's say just hypothetically, he throws a pick on the first drive. If you then pull him right there and put Devin in the game, I don't think that's the way you want to handle it. I think you want to give Kyle some time, out when once i think you know i i don't think that you want to do a you know alternating every series kind of situation i think you want to let kyle get in there for two or three series at least give him some time to you know get into a rhythm because you have named him a starter for his game so now that you've gone out there and you publicly named him a starter for his game you got to give him a chance to prove that he's he's the guy he's the starter uh the interesting thing to me, and this is what I, 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 it's hard to predict, is when is that opportunity for Devin going to come? Because Ryan Day did say that he, he wants to get Devin, quote, meaningful reps in this game. So, you know, does that mean first quarter? Does that mean second quarter? Does that mean, you know, start of the second half, if the game they've got a more comfortable lead? What do you think, Andy? When do you think is the right time for Ryan Day to give Devin Brown his opportunity, and you know, how much of an opportunity should Devin get?
1: If it were me, and I'm not Ryan Day, and I look through this whole thing, I defer to Ryan's judgment because he knows more about he's forgotten more about you know quarterbacking than you or I or any of the Twitter prognosticators will ever know. So, true. I think for me, if I were in those shoes, I would want to have at least a three score lead with McCord in the driver's seat, and then you hope to get. Devin in into the first half. Um, I think because you still want the game, you still want the first teamers out there for both sides. But I don't think you want to pull McCord while the game is still in question. So maybe like you get to 21 nothing or 28 nothing or 28-7, 35-7 somewhere in that range. And that would be kind of an optimum time for me because look, again the big difference here is you've named McCord the starter. You're not saying, hey this is an open competition going into week one in terms of, you know, both guys are kind of co-starters. It's records, the starter. And so I, I think you have to treat him that way. And yeah, you want to give Devin a look. You want to give him a chance to play because he's earned that, but you have to let Kyle be the starter and get that cohesion going. Um, if you're riding his, you know, if you're riding that trade. if you pull Kyle too quickly, it's bad for both guys because, now, Devin's going to be in there, and Devin's going to be looking over his shoulder because of how short of a leash that Kyle got, right? You name Kyle your starter, he goes out throws a pick or two, and then, bang, you're gone. Well, now, what if Devin goes out there, and now he's having his struggles? Well, he's going to be looking over his shoulder the whole time, and then you put Kyle back in, his confidence is shot because you pulled him too early. You know, this is a very delicate balance, and when you've named a guy the starter, you have to write it until it's proven otherwise now.
0: Yeah, that's a very good point. You know, I, I personally, I, I think we see Devin a little sooner than that. I mean, and I think part of that is because I'm not necessarily as confident that this game's going to be out of hand before halftime. I mean, you think of the other two times in recent history that Ohio State has opened the season with a big ten game on the road. They trailed Indiana at halftime in 2017. They trailed Minnesota at halftime in 2021. So. I think, especially considering you're breaking in a new quarterback, there's probably going to be some early hiccups in this game. And I do think Ohio State is ultimately going to pull away in the second half of this game, much like we saw against Indiana in 2017. But I don't personally anticipate this being the kind of game where it's going to be out of hand by halftime. And, and that just makes it easy for you to put Devin in there once the game's out of hand. because. You know, I think the counterpoint to what you're talking about is, OK, let's say the game does stay close and you've let Kyle play the whole first half. Now you, you've already you've already committed publicly to we're going to give Devin a chance to play. You want do you want to throw Devin in there in the third quarter when the game is very close when he hasn't played at all in the first half? So, again, it's it's a very delicate balance and I'm very genuinely just very intrigued to see how this plays out because we haven't seen ryan day in this situation before the where he has talked about we are going to play two quarterbacks it, you know throughout his tenure he he's had one starter uh you know for you know even if you look back offensive coordinator you know there, i mean there was the jt barrett dwayne Haskins situation there at the end of 2017 when jt got hurt against michigan but JT was still the guy in the next game in the Big Ten Champions game. You know, Dwayne was the guy in 2018. Fields was always the guy in 2019 and 2020. And then, RM at one game he missed a shoulder injury, CJ was always the guy in 2021 and 2022. Ryan Day, by virtue of saying that Devin is going to play, that he he has still left this thing open to where, yes, Kyle's the starter, but he's not necessarily the guy yet. So I'm genuinely very intrigued. Like you said, Ryan Day knows a lot more about quarterback play than either of us do, and so I'm not going to pretend to have all the answers that he should he should have, but I'm very interested to see how it's going to play out, and I'm sure when we're back here next week, we're going to be analyzing and dissecting how it all played out.
1: Yes, Um, and again, how the game unfolds will have a huge impact on when Devin plays, right? I I think, yeah, you and I obviously have different outlooks on how this game is going to unfold because I do see it being, we'll get to that later, Um, but how it unfolds, how the game goes is going to answer a lot of these questions about, well, when does Devin come in, right? So we, we talk about unanswered questions there. Another unanswered question we still have with this team going on to the defensive side of the ball is still no clarity on who the clear starter is and adjuster. That's something Jim Knowles went into detail about today. You asked him questions on that topic, Dan. Where do things stand?
0: Yeah, well, it kind of seems like things stand exactly where they stood last week when he said that Jihad Carter, Josh Proctor, and Malik Hartford were still competing for that free safety job, and that was his answer today. And you know, I thought it was interesting. I, I you know, a question I asked him was, you know, do you feel uncomfortable? with the fact that you don't have a clear starter yet. And he was honest. He said, yeah, we know that honest truth. The rest is BS. When you don't have one particular guy that you're, hey, this is our dude, there's always some thought behind it. There's always some angst behind it. So you know, that answer tells you right there that he would like to have one guy that he feels really good about at free safety. And it doesn't sound like he's there yet. So I think this is now a legitimate concern. Uh, going into this first game for this defense, it it doesn't seem like they have one guy at free safety that they feel really good about right now. Now they have three guys I think that they feel pretty good about, and you've got a couple guys in Jihad Carter and and Josh Proctor who have played a lot of football. Jihad Carter was a free year starter at Syracuse. Josh Proctor is a six year senior who started games in each of the last three seasons at Ohio State. But something has kept them from seizing the starting job at this point. You know, even though Josh Proctor took the first team reps basically all spring, even though Jahad Carter started preseason camp as the first team free safety, neither of them has seized that job yet. So much so that we're not talking about a true freshman still being in this competition to start on game week. And I think the thing that we don't know for sure yet is whether that says more about Malik Hartford, or wherever that says more about jihad Carter, Josh Proctor. Because I don't think, you know, based on the way Ryan Day talked about Malik Hartford on Tuesday, he said, you know, quote, they want to be smart early on in this game with Hartford because he's a true freshman. And so I don't think they want to throw him out there in the starting lineup week one. But it does seem like they feel really good about Malik Hartford to the point where it might not be shocking if Malik Hartford ends up becoming the starting free safety for this Ohio State football team by the end of this season. But I think they'd really like to be in a position where they feel really good about either Jihad Carter or Josh Proctor locking that job down, and it seems they are not there yet.
1: Yeah, that seems to be the situation. And now we've talked about Jihad's injuries before. Uh, He missed part of the spring with a knee issue, got banged up in fall camp per what uh Noel said go back to your question before though you know is it what is who does it say more about you know hartford or jihad and josh and uh, you know i i'm i'm a classic you know fence rider on some of these things i'm, I'm always going to say a little bit of both i think malik is honestly a guy who's really impressed this coaching staff really taken them aback they got feel like they got a steal on the recruiting trail uh just Relative to his ranking, you know, still a top 200 guy, but not, you know, I don't think he quite cracks the top 100. Jim Knowles called his combination of football intelligence, physicality, ability to see the game rare today compared to a guy he had at Oklahoma State. And look, that adjuster spot is someone who needs to cover a ton of ground. And I think you like Billy Cartford's range with that. Cover, See the field and really it's like... Jim Knowles calls it the adjuster because he adjusts all the other areas of the defense. Right. And I mean, that's what a free safety does in a lot of defenses. You've got a lot of space to run and you're the last line of defense. You're there on the back end. So this is a really important position for the team. Now, as talented as Malik is, Um, To go back to your point, you don't want a true freshman starting in that role, per se, at least not right away. Um, You want someone who's got that veteran experience to, to come and claim that job. And while I don't think Knowles has said anything to degrade the play of Carter or Proctor or where they're at with them. It is telling, you know, he wants one of them to emerge. He wants one of them to step up and claim it. He doesn't want to be in the situation where you've got three guys who could all play. He wants one of them to say, no, I'm the guy who's going to play. And, you know, you want Jihad or Josh to have done that by this point. Um, You know, we all thought Jihad would have uh, just on the beat. Based off the three years starting at Syracuse, three interceptions last year. um, He had a season with 65 tackles as a freshman. Just like he's got legitimate experience, and those those are in ACC defenses. You're playing legit offenses. You would think with that level of experience coming in, he's a guy that could come and claim it right away. But he just lost his black stripe last week. The situation at Adjuster is a very intriguing one and a very important one for this defense.
0: Yeah, you know, I think. You know, it's worth making the point with Carter that the reality is, like, a transfer is never going to be a sure thing, right? Like, you never know for sure how quickly a transfer is going to get acclimated when you bring them in. And so I think we saw, like, with Davis and Ibnosa, he came in in the spring, and and he really got in there as in the mix right away. And, you know, he's performed well enough that Jim Knowles basically confirmed on Tuesday that they are going to rotate three cornerbacks between Denzel Burke. Jordan Hancock, Davison uh sounds like you know Jordan Hancock could also potentially play some nickel in certain situations. But you know, Davison Egbohnosen has done enough. But even though they really like Denzel Burke and Jordan Hancock, that Davison Egbohnosen is going to play significant snaps at that cornerback position, and that's a credit to how well he's acclimated in his first offseason at Ohio State. Certainly, Josh Simmons. Ryan Day confirmed Tuesday that Josh Simmons will be the starting left tackle. Clearly, he is acclimated very well since coming in this summer to put himself in that position. It's not to say that Carter hasn't, because Jim Knowles has said a lot of good things about Jihad Carter this offseason, too. But you know, whether it's the injuries that he's dealt with, uh, you know, whether it's just not enough consistency in terms of his play, it's clear that they haven't quite seen everything that maybe they thought they were going to have seen from Jihad Carter to this point to feel fully comfortable in naming him the starter. Now, the good news is kind of like a quarterback. I do think they have a little bit of time to experiment here. I'd say at least for the first two games, because Indiana's offense probably isn't going to be very good. Youngstown State's offense should not be a threat. And so they can afford for these first couple games to play all three of those guys if they need to and see what they all do in game action. I think by that Western Kentucky game, you need to be more solid because we talked about it. Western Kentucky led the nation in passing yards last year. So I think by that game, especially going into the Notre Dame game the next week, kind of like you talked about last week with the quarterback position and wanting to build a rhythm. I think by that third game, you really want to have one free safety that you feel really good about. I think if they're not at that point by that game, it, it becomes a bigger and bigger concern. I think you can go into this first game and afford to let it play out a little bit and kind of like a quarterback. I mean, we've seen that we've seen this happen before. Like I can remember one example. I think it was 2017 that I think, I think it was Jordan Fuller and Eric Smith were rotating at safety early in the season. And Jordan Phil, Jordan Fuller went on to become a stalwart of the defense. Eric Smith never really ended up doing much. So you know, you think playing them all in the first couple games kind of allows you to really evaluate them and, and see who really emerges if that hasn't happened on the practice field yet. But I do think that's a position. Like we're not talking about like defensive line, where you typically rotate a lot. I think that free safety position, that's one where you need somebody back there that you really know you can rely on when the game's on the line. And it just doesn't seem like they quite have that yet.
1: Yeah, and to your point, we've seen competitions drag out too, where uh, you know neither guy really stepped up big. That happened in 2018. Uh, who was is that? Isaiah Pryor and Malik Hooker? Not Malik. Josslyn uh, Wynn, and Marcus Hooker. Josslyn Wynn. Josslyn Wynn. That's right. Yeah. Josslyn Wynn. Um, and uh, no, yeah. So yeah, it, it is Pryor. A, yeah. Yeah. Isaiah Pryor and Josslyn Wynn. That's who. That's right. A little, little memory, a little shaky there. But like the and Brendan uh,
0: White eventually ended up playing a, a bigger role later in the season, but he didn't yes. play much earlier in the year.
1: Yes, and then they made the bullet for him and he never played it. So, um, the uh, it, you, to your point, we've seen safety competitions drag out to negative results, too. And um, you want that guy to step up and take the reins. Um, and we'll see if it happens, you know. I think it's going to be of paramount importance for Notre Dame because Sam Hartman looked really dynamic. I know it was against Navy. I know it was against Navy, but... 19 of 23 with four touchdowns. And look, accurate balls are accurate balls. I don't care who it's against. He was dropping some dimes in that game. So we'll see. Ohio State will obviously be a step up for him, but he's got a proven track record when you talk about a guy who's had back-to-back 3,700-yard seasons, So that position's going to be important come Notre Dame. But moving on to the last position battle that we uh, we got some clarity on today, kicker uh dan we've we found out that Jaden fielding will be ohio state's kicker in uh 2023 thoughts on that and uh, where things stand with parker lewis
0: yeah i'm not surprised by this one i kind of had the vibe even dating back to last year that Jaden fielding was probably going to be the heir apparent to to Noel ruggles i mean he beat out parker lewis to be the kickoff guy last year and he kept that job all year even after lewis was cleared uh eligibility wise uh i mean i you know i know that you know i remember the, the peach ball practice uh before the georgia game and I, I remember it because my tweet got a lot of attention after noah ruggles missed his field goal at the last second of that game uh, where Jaden fielding was out there kicking long field goal attempts and he was working as the number two kicker and so uh, even though Parker Lewis had the advantage of experience, even though Parker Lewis is on scholarship and Jaden Fielding is not, you kind of had the vibe there that that they 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 liked where Jaden was and and they felt more comfortable with him than with Parker. So, you know, again, kind of like a quarterback, you know, you never know what could happen. if if Jaden goes out there and struggles, we might see Parker get a shot. But, The way they talked about it on, on, on Tuesday did make it sound pretty firm, but Jaden is the guy right now. They, he didn't, he didn't leave it as open even as quarterback to where it was like, they're both going to play. He said, no, Jaden's going to handle, you know, all the field goals and all the kickoffs. So it does seem like uh, they're, they're going to move forward uh, with with Jaden being the guy and, you know, you know, if, if he struggles, then maybe Parker gets an opportunity. But it does sound like Jaden's B guy right now.
1: Yes, and I look, I brought this up in our uh, press coverage se- segment. Shout, shout out to that. If you know you want to check it out on YouTube, we do those every Tuesdays after uh, Ryan Day's press conference. Just quick hits on what we found out. But in terms of, uh, yeah, I think the consistency is what you're looking for from Jaden Fielding now because we saw it in the beat full practices, he can make. Field goals longer than fifty yards. He's um, got the leg for it. Now, does he have the accuracy? You know, I think it's much more important for a guy to be ninety percent plus from you know in that thirty to forty yard range than having the ability to make a fifty plus yarder. You want consistency and accuracy more than anything else, collegiately out of a kicker. There's you know there's not a lot of situations where you're going to be kicking a 50 plus yarder anyway so does he have the consistency and the accuracy to, to make those kicks and um you know finish drives off with three points where you know you
0: couldn't punch it in? we we've mentioned about this Indiana game that we don't really think it's going to be that big a test for Ohio State so we won't spend too much time talking about Indiana but we do want to spend A little bit of time talking about Indiana, because after all, this is a conference opponent. I mean, this is not opening the season against a non-conference opponent. This is a conference opponent. This is a a Big Ten game. And there have been times in recent years where Indiana has given Ohio State a real test. I mentioned the 2017 game, which was very analogous to this one in terms of Ohio State playing Indiana in the first game of the season on the road. And Ohio State trailed at halftime of that game. Obviously, uh, 2020 uh, was a year that Indiana seemed to have a lot of momentum on its side, where Ohio State actually did have a big lead at halftime. And then Indiana stormed back and almost won the game. I think they were down 35-7 and they ended up losing by just a touchdown. And so, you know, I remember going into the 2021 season and I erroneously predicted that Indiana would upset Ohio State that year. And Indiana ended up going 2-10 that year. They went four and eight last year. And this is a program that I think of any program in the Big Ten has certainly fallen off the hardest in the last three years. Because, I mean, 2020, I mean, people were talking about Tom Allen being, you know, coach of a year. And it seemed like Indiana had this newfound momentum it hasn't had in a long time. And over the past two years, we've really just seen all that momentum go away. And now I think Tom Allen is entering this season Birmley on the hot seat and without any of the increased expectations for Hoosier football that this program had gained a couple years ago.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's it's Indiana and probably Northwestern, right? That have fallen the hardest uh, in terms of Big Ten teams uh, of late, you know, and um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I think, Alan, really, you got to. I mean, he's got to show some improvement this year or it's kind of over. And you look at all that's happened with the team losing all they lost from last year, brought in 23 transfers is the number. A lot of new, a lot of stuff to break in with this first week. And the pro, I I guess, of that and that media members have brought up is that, you know, it's tough to prepare for a team that's got 23 transfers, but I think it's much more of a con for Indiana when you think about the fact that all these guys are new to the program, breaking in, trying to figure out how they fit in. There's a lack of clarity as to who's going to be where in, in a lot of cases because Tom Allen doesn't seem to want to name starters at any position publicly going into that game, even if privately the team knows who they are. That's true at quarterback. It's true at kicker for them, as, as was
0: pointed out on and Twitter. Like Parker Fleming just racking his brain of how is he going to prepare for two kickers.
1: <laughs> I don't know. No, I that's that's uh that's one he's out here playing forty chess with, with that one. But I look Indiana I was putting together five things this week. I think one of the more telling stats look they, they had super awful metrics, both offensively, defensively last year. They were 119th in total defense across the country, 120th against the pass, 99th against the run uh, in yards per game allowed. They returned their top tackler, Aaron Casey, linebacker, had 86 takedowns a year ago. They don't return their second leading tackler. They don't return their third leading tackler. They don't return their fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, or tenth leading tackler all the way down to 11th that's the next guy they bring back noah pierre so they didn't exactly have a fully stocked cover to begin with and they have to replace them all so i uh again they got some good transfers Bleedy the the, the tap the defensive tackle they got out of texas tech seems to be uh one that they like there, there's there's guys around on that defense but i just you're talking about a quarterback breaking into a game. It's a whole new secondary for them, essentially. And just like, I, I think this is going to be a good break-in game for McCord because of how new Indiana's defense is and just where the program is as a whole. Uh, you know, firing their offensive line coach in the middle of last season. You know, th- these things that have happened now, maybe Allen writes the ship and generates some positive momentum and looking competitive in this game would certainly be a way to do that. But it's it's just not what I see happening.
0: <laughs> yeah, look, I, I can respect the head games, but I mean, I, I just don't think it's going to matter. Like, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, it, it, there's certainly some challenges in preparation for Ohio State in terms of having to prepare for two quarterbacks, having to prepare for a lot of players that they haven't seen play at Indiana before. But I, I think, you know, f- first of all, I mean, there's, there's a huge talent gap in this game. Indiana has Some good players, you know, you mentioned Aaron Casey, probably the best player on defense. Cam Camper is a good receiver. Uh, Jalen Lucas is probably the most dynamic returner in the country. So that'll be a test for the special teams. I believe he was the only returner in the country who had two kickoff return touchdowns last year. So he's somebody to watch both as a kickoff returner and as a running back. But overall, I I think this game is going to be very much a mismatch, I I think. Uh, Ohio State's defense, which certainly wants to make a statement uh in this game, I think certainly has the chance to do so. I think the defensive line versus Indians offensive line is going to be a mismatch. I, I don't think either quarterback is going to scare the Ohio State secondary. And and like you said, I think, you know, defensively, if you're you're talking about a big ten game, I think you look at a defense that is replacing, like you said, basically the, all of their starters last year, except for a couple. Uh, I I think uh, certainly in terms of, you know, intimidating openers for a new starting quarterback, it could be a lot worse than this. So, you know, like, like I said before, I still think there could be a little bit of bumpiness in the first half for Ohio state in this game, because it is the season opener. It's a big 10 game on the road. They're breaking in a new quarterback. So I don't expect Ohio State to go out there and pull away in the first quarter and and completely dominate this game for four quarters. But I do think that ultimately Ohio State is going to be able to win this game very comfortably. So we look at the line for this game. Ohio State is a 29.5 point favorite as of Tuesday afternoon. I'm going to say the Buckeyes will cover. I'm going with a final score prediction of Ohio State 45, Indiana 13. What are you going with, Andy? Uh,
1: mine's 52-7, to seven, Ohio State. Uh, so, you know, we're not too far off. We both have Ohio State covering. I wouldn't bet that line. I, I do I do get myself into some sports betting. But uh, if, if I were betting on the game, which I'm not, uh, I would not bet that line just personally because I think 30 points is such a huge spread to cover in a week one game in general. And games are slightly shorter now because of the new clock rules. Um, just, I don't know, unsolicited gambling advice. But the... Uh, uh, I, I think Ohio State wins this game uh, comfortably going away um in the first quarter uh, second quarter. I think it I think it's a blowout right from the beginning. I think the thing that can change that is some of those nerves on the road, like you mentioned, self-inflicted wounds, mainly, like holding ball starts, some various things, just like, new offensive cohesion with a new quarterback right just new new guys along the offensive line i think that's maybe failing to pick up a blitz too and a pass protection uh just not having that like chemistry yet up front is going to be really important so i I think those are the kinds of things that could keep indiana in this game i don't see a threat from indiana's offense much outside of cam camper and uh, look you know jackson wasn't like he was a you know top two hundred recruit and uh, transferred from Tennessee. I I think I expect him to be the starter, frankly, on Saturday over Brendan Sorsby. Could honestly turn out to be a solid quarterback for them this year. Um, but who's blocking for him, you know, when you're talking about no line that's been in turmoil the last few seasons. And uh it's it's again, I, I expect this to be a blowout from the beginning for Ohio State, you know, maybe though. I I do foresee a scenario where there's some early struggles and then they pull away later.
0: Yeah, Taven Jackson, by the way, for those who don't know, the brother of Trace Jackson Davis, who, of course, was a big star for the Indiana basketball team for the last five years. So uh, that's a name that certainly people will be familiar with. With this being the first week of the season, I want us to also to get into some season predictions here. Since uh, I think, you know, we, we, we both expect a pretty comfortable win for Ohio State this week, but uh, certainly a, a lot of bigger challenges ahead on the schedule. And uh, we did make our official CFP predictions for 11 Warriors a couple weeks ago. Andy's was certainly far more popular than mine, as Andy (laughs) predicted that Ohio State would win the college football playoff, while I, uh, the blasphemous one, predicted that Michigan would win the national championship. And I stand by that prediction. I, I think Michigan is probably the most complete college football team in the country this year. I think that on paper, they are better than the teams that beat Ohio State. The last two years, I think having home field advantage in the game this year in Ann Arbor is something that's going to work in Michigan's favor. And I think when you look at the fact that, you know, Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, really the big three in this sport, all have some quarterback uncertainty going into the season. I think if Jim Harbaugh is going to win a national championship at Michigan, I think this is his window of opportunity. I think if it if it's gonna happen, this is the year for him to go do it. With JJ McCarthy coming back, Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards coming back, uh, you know some new pieces on the offensive line. But I still think they're going to be pretty pretty good up front. I think their defense is still going to be really good. Now, with all that being said, I I think this is going to be a very interesting year in the Big Ten, and and specifically in the Big Ten East because. I think there are three very real college football playoff contenders in the Big Ten East in Michigan, Mm -hmm. Ohio State, and Penn State. And I think those three teams could all legitimately be top five teams in the country. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see a scenario in which Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State are all 11-1 and at the end of the year, with each of them winning one game against each other and losing one game against each other. I I think – it could be that competitive, and that could make for some very interesting CFP debate at the end of the year if things end up playing out that way.
1: There's certainly a scenario where Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan all beat each other at 11-1, and one, and then you know the rankings determine who goes to Indianapolis and then potentially the college football playoff from there, right? I agree with you when you say this is maybe the best team Jim Harbaugh's had, period. Um, Michigan's a complete team. I think they have, they're gonna, they've they've had one of the best O-lines in the country year in, year out. I don't think that changes this year. McCarthy will be a Heisman contender, likely, and same with, uh, if if they lean more on Korn or Edwards, I imagine one could be a Heisman contender. I don't know how they're gonna split the carries there. They've got weapons, they've got great defense. I think someone told me today, what is it? 86 of 93 Letterman returning from last year for Michigan. Some crazy number like that. I mean, they're bringing a lot back from a team that made the college football playoff and ultimately crapped the bed against TCU. But I, I think that game was an anomaly as well. My thing is this. I think Ohio State is the most complete team in the country this year. I think this is the best defense they've had since 2019. Full stop, easily, and maybe even better than that year when you look at... Just the depth at defensive tackle in particular as compared to that season, having one of the best linebackers in the country, having I, – I think Sonny Styles could turn into a superstar. I think they're great at corner, uh, and I know maybe last year's cornerback play doesn't inspire a lot of confidence in that area, but it's just – the way they've looked, the uh, practices we've seen, the how things have trended, and really how the recruiting cycles have lined up, right? When you looked at Ohio State's 2021 class, you said since then, 2023 is the year, the way they stack talent for everything to come together and have a complete team like this. They're going to lose a lot from this defense after this year, um, and that's why it's such an important year. Uh, that's... Lost in the whole, oh, Ohio State doesn't have a whole quarterback uh, a quarterback thing for most of this offseason discussion is just how good this defense can be based on the recruiting pedigrees of those guys, based off what some of them have shown you on the field. Now, they've got to go out and do it, right? They've got to – and it, you're not going to find out until they play some of those marquee opponents because Ohio State had great defenses against the Iowa's, the Michigan State's of the world last year. But can you do it against Michigan? Can you do it against Georgia, right? That's the real question. Offensive line has been my number one concern with the team because I've, again, said all offseason I trust Day when it comes to quarterback development and the recruiting pedigrees of both McCord and Brown. Uh, that's, that's been the one big thing, and uh, I have a little more confidence now than I had a month ago, but I'm still very much reserved about what's this offensive line going to be like with the three new starters. Is Simmons the real deal the way they've talked about him? Can Fryer hold up in pass protection consistently? And if they answer those questions, we know they have the best group of receivers in the country, pretty much full stop. We know Kate Stover is fantastic at tight end. We know they have an incredibly deep stable of running backs. It's going to come down to the Michigan game for me. Uh, that's That's not breaking any ground here, right? I think most Ohio State seasons come down to the Michigan game, but you... I honestly expect both teams to go into that game 11-0. As good as Penn State is, I really like Penn State's team this year, I think they don't beat Ohio State or Michigan still. And I think both teams go into that game 11-0, and there's just, you know, the the spot in Indy and maybe a spot in the college football playoff, we'll see. Uh, We'll be on the line in that game. And Michigan is built to beat Ohio State now, but... I think the Buckeyes overall still have more talent on the roster, still have a lot of areas where they could pull this out, and it's just a matter of can they overcome that hurdle that's set them back the last two years? Can they regain the control of the rivalry they had throughout the 2010s, right? So it all comes down to the Michigan game for me, but I I see them pulling it out this year because I I really do think they have the most complete team in college football across the board.
0: I agree with you on most of that. So let's make that clear, because you know I know that a lot of people will see me picking Michigan and just think, oh, he's a hater, and you know, you know he, you know he's he's down on Ohio State. I mean, I think Ohio State's going to be a top three team in college football this year with Georgia and Michigan. I'm not super high on Alabama. Like I know I saw like the ESPN panel all picked Alabama to win the SEC every the day. I'm not I'm not super high on Alabama this year. Never going to count Nick Saban out. Don't get me wrong, but I I think Ohio State. It is going to be, a. I think in my mind, they're going to be a top three team in college football this year. I just think the biggest challenge is the fact that one of those two other teams is a team that they have to play on the road in their own division. Like that's, that's, that's the biggest thing. Like you said, like I think that's the biggest thing. You know, I was asked in our weekly chat on Monday to rank five areas of concern from most confident to least confident. And those were defense, play calling, quarterback play, offensive line play and beating michigan i put the defense as number one is my most confident of those five because i agree with you i, I think this defense is going to be really good i, I i'm not going to go as far as to say i think they're going to be better than 2019 because the 2019 defense finished the year as the number one defense in the country in terms of yards allowed per game so I'm not, go, I'm not fantastic i'm not going to go that far but I, I do think they're going to be clearly better than the last three years. And I do think that all the pieces are in place personnel wise for this defense to be really, really good. So I, am agreement with you. I, I think this defense is going to be really, really good. I think, uh, you know, you know, play calling, I'm not super concerned about that. I mean, I know that, you know, we, we've seen that, you know, in some bigger games in recent years that maybe Ryan Day's gotten too conservative. But I do think a lesson was learned at the end of last season, particularly in the Michigan game, that they can't play like that. They have to be aggressive. They have to play to win rather than playing not to lose. And I, and I you know, it's easier to say that now in August than it is to actually do it in November when your season's on the line. But I do think there has been a recognition of that by Ryan Day. I, you know, I'm, I'm fairly confident that that's going to work out for the most part. You know, quarterback play, like I've said it all along, I think the quarterback play is going to be good. The question is, is the quarterback play going to be great? Is it going to be elite like we've seen with C.J. Stroud and Justin Fields and Dwayne Haskins for the past five years? And I think the, the, the other question I have on that is if the quarterback play isn't elite, can Ohio State adapt? to playing a style of football that is not driven by elite quarterback play. Because that's what we've seen from Ohio State throughout Ryan Day's tenure. I mean, I think with all the talent they have on defense, the the talent they have at running back, the fact that I think this offensive line is going to be better at run blocking than it is at path blocking, I, I I think they have all the pieces for the defense and the run game to lead this team to a ton of success. But Ryan Day's bread and butter has always been the passing game. And so, you know, how willing, how able will Ohio State be able to adjust if the quarterback play is not elite? And again, I don't know if it has to be elite. You got Marvin Harrison Jr., you got a Buka. Those guys are going to make the quarterback look a lot better. So these concerns could all be completely overblown and it could be completely fine. To the point, if, if quarterback play, is really good. And the offensive line does its job. Ohio state should be the best team in the country. Ohio state, I think is the most talented team in the country this year. I think Ohio state and Georgia are the most talented teams in the country. And so I think if it all comes together for Ohio state, then Ohio state probably should be the national champion at the end of the year. And you know, and when I was doing that prediction, I I agonized over that prediction for a long time because I'm like I kn- <laughs> I'm like I know I'm I know I'm gonna get roasted when I put Michigan out here. But you know you talked about journalistic integrity earlier. I felt like I gotta go with what my head tells me is the most likely scenario rather than just playing the crowd. And so I I, I did go with that. But I will tell you, that one scenario I strongly considered when I was looking at that was Ohio State does they're gonna lose to Michigan. That my prediction. Ohio State they lose to Michigan, they go 11. But I still think they go 11 and one because I think now I don't think going 11 and one is going to be easy for this team because I think Notre Dame, Penn State, Wisconsin are all also very real threats to to beat Ohio State. And so I think if Ohio State go 10 and two this year, I will not be surprised because I just because I think that this schedule is difficult, but I am gonna go out and say I think I think Ohio State goes eleven and one because I do think Ohio State has the talent, the team, but it should go eleven and one. And I'm gonna say that we'll get Ohio State into the playoffs because I think the schedule is strong enough that even if even if they don't win the Big Ten, I think like last year, I, I think Ohio State could still get in to the top four, even even if it loses a game, it keeps it out of the Big Ten championship. Because you know, I, I look at it again, I think Georgia is probably a playoff team. Uh, Washington is my favorite CFP sleeper. I've got them in the playoff. Outside of that, I look at a lot of teams and I go, I think this team's going to lose two games. So uh, I think, you know, if Ohio State can go 11-1, and I think Ohio State gets them a college ball playoff. And the scenario that I was very tempted to pick was Ohio State's the four seed, and they beat Georgia, and they beat Michigan, and they get revenge for both of those losses, and they win the national championship. That would be a really fun story, wouldn't it?
1: That would be a really fun story. I'd love covering a season like that in the end, you know, Um, would be a great thing to follow. And, you know, just in general, going to a national championship game as a reporter has always been a dream. But uh, I think to your point, I I agree with a lot of what you said, you know, as far as um, obviously being among the most talented team in the country and that it all needs to come together um, for that, you know, to happen going back to your point about will ohio state be willing to lean on the ground game um that i mean that's a very interesting uh proposition there because i think you've seen in the past games where maybe they could have relied on a little more and then games too where they didn't have the right run calls or they didn't maybe relied on it a little too much. 2019 Northwestern, when Sermon broke the single game res- rushing record comes to mind as one where they, they kind of waited a little bit in that game to really lean on it, even though Sermon put up the numbers he did in the end. Um, they it, That game was close in the first half because it, you know, they were trying to force some things in the passing game, I feel like, against a very conservative Northwestern defense that was dropping a lot of guys into coverage and trying to take that away. But what I will say, and this is a trait of all great offensive minds that have ever coached football, you never force players into a scheme. You build a scheme around the players you have. And Day has shown an ability to do that around each of the quarterbacks he's coached. He did it with Haskins, going to more of a pro-style set, spreading the ball out. He did it with Fields showing the defenses, different looks with his legs to suck them in and then throw the ball. He did it with shroud and adjusting to the things that CJ did well. And that was again, more of the pro style, right? But, uh, still some different things that he did with Dwayne to take advantage of CJ's strength. Cause CJ's strength as opposed to Dwayne was more dropping the ball in accuracy, reading defenses and distributing. Whereas Dwayne had that cannon and could just zip it anywhere. Right? Um, May he rest in peace. But I I think with that in mind, it makes me think that if they have to lean on the run game a little more as the season goes on, they will. I don't know if they'll have to yet. Will the the quarterback play could still be elite. I'm not necessarily expecting that. I don't think McCord I I, I'm not even of the opinion McCord's gonna be, you know, a Heisman contender this year. But if he's really good, they're you know, again, he has Marvin Harrison and Mecca Egbuca to throw to, and uh, you know, great depth behind those guys. So, uh, I I do think uh, I wouldn't surprise me to see them lean more on the ground game, especially with the stable of backs they have. I'm expecting a big year from Travion Henderson. I've been really bullish on what he can do. I, I think he'll eat up the majority of the carries, even as deep as they are at running back. Uh, but. I think they have that ability to lean on the run game more. And if the defense has to win you a game or two, I think they're more than capable with the talent they have. Again, that talent has to play to expectations, but it's a defense that is capable of of being really, really, really freaking good.
0: Well, speaking of the Heisman, I want to do a little bit of rapid fire, some, some season predictions here before we get out of here. And I'm going to start with that one right there. Will Ohio State have a Heisman finalist this season? And if so, who will it be?
1: Marvin Harrison Jr.
0: I agree. I I agree. I I think Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be a Heisman finalist this year. I'm I'm not going to pick him to win it because the bar to win it as a wide receiver is really high. I mean, Devontae Smith, you look at his stats from that year, but he won it. They were absurd. And I think with a Mecca with all the other weapons that Ohio State has, they're not going to force feed the ball to Marv. And so I don't think he's going to put up the numbers to outright win the Heisman. But I do think that he's going to be a finalist because he's that good.
1: I agree. Um and I, I again, I'm not necessarily predicting him to win it either. I do think there's good value okay, again, just, just from a gambling sense. Plus 2,000, uh, he's the high. He's the he's got the best odds of any non-quarterback to win it. Uh, but still, like 14 quarterbacks ahead of him, and a couple guys that you know you look at and you go, "Huh," you know. But uh, I, I really like Marvin's chances. He has the hype coming in, and he he could put up some phenomenal numbers. I don't know about Devonte Smith just because. This team has more receivers they're trying to spread the ball to. Um, when you look at Alabama that year, Jalen Waddle got hurt um, early on, and that's kind of what opened the door for Devontae to put up the monster numbers he did. So I, I think that it's going to be tough for him to get, like you said, the Heisman Trophy winning numbers. But a finalist, certainly, I could see him having a 1,500-yard season, and, and that would be enough, I think.
0: So we obviously both then agree that Marvin Harrison Jr. will be Ohio State's offensive MVP. Outside of Marvin Harrison Jr., who do you think will be Ohio State's offensive MVP this year? Travion.
1: Like I said, I'm very bullish on him. I think uh, he's going to have a big year running the football as long as he stays fully healthy. Uh, He was a five-star for a reason. I've seen very few tapes out of high school that looked as good as his. He showed that ability as a freshman. Played most of last year on what was basically a broken foot. Uh, and that toughness, that grit, he's got more power than people realize he's got speed and then just like crazy agility and his jump cuts or something like when he's fully healthy, just, just watch his jump cuts. If you're a high school running back who wants to be good at this, watch how Travion, when he cuts, how he, A, has the vision to know where to cut to, but B, he gains ground in a way that progresses him upfield and allows him to gain yardage. So just watch. That's one of my favorite things about him is watch some of that. And I think he lost some of that ability because of the broken foot, right? He, his ability to elude is really compromised. When you talk about, you know, you have to plan, right? Couldn't really do that as much when your foot's uh, compromised in that way. So I'm expecting a big resurgence from him. And I think outside of Marvin, he's the offense's MVP, although it's also tough not to pick a Mecca for that.
0: Yeah, I'm going to pick a Mecca. I mean, Travion's a good choice. I think certainly it was easy to forget last year how good Travion was as a freshman, but if he can recapture that form, and based on everything we've heard this preseason, it sounds like he has. He certainly has the potential to have a huge year. And like we talked about, they may have to lean more on the running game. If so, that could lead to huge numbers for Travion Henderson and having Maya Williams as well. But I'm going to go for Mecca because, I mean, I think Omeka's is the second best receiver in the country, only behind his own teammate. I think he gets overshadowed a little bit because of how good Marvin is. But I think Omeka's is fantastic too. I think both those guys are going to be first round draft picks next year. I, I don't know, but I think they will both going to be All-Americans just because they have to you know, share touches with each other. But I think Omeka's is going to be uh, one of the best receivers in the country, if not the second best receiver in the country. And so he's my pick along with Marvin to be offensive MVP of this team. How about defensive MVP, Andy? That's,
1: uh, all right. I'm going with Mike Hall. I have, I'm ready to have my heart broken again, Dan. I have been trumpeting Mike Hall ever since he announced he was going to be coming to Ohio State. I thought he was just even ranked as high as he was because he ended up being, I think, 77th in the composite and that changed. But like, he ended up being 77th in the composite on, on signing day. Um, I I have said this was a guy who should have been a five star. He got here, did the things he did early last season, um, really showed what his ability can be. And I think if properly utilized and healthy, he is a guy that is going to wreck things in a way for offenses that reverberates throughout the defense because that's what it is at deep tackle. If you have a guy on the inside who's creating havoc in the backfield every play, it's that's that's the toughest thing to do for an offense to run like he's he's right there um you know it's easy not it's you could jt to emola and tommy eichenberg also very strong candidates. maybe sunny styles too is a breakout guy but when Mike Hall is healthy i'm not sure there's a better D tackle in college football there's a, I, maybe someone you know some of those guys with down south but there's uh my call for me is a guy that will make a huge difference uh for the defense in terms of whether he's healthy or not.
0: Yeah, I considered three guys for this one. I mean, I think Tommy Eigenberg was the defensive MVP last season. And I think he's going to continue to be one of the best linebackers in the country this year. I think, um, you know, he going into the season just based on what we've seen, I think he's Ohio State's best defensive player and I think he could be an all American linebacker. I'm tempted to say Denzel Burke, because I've been riding the Denzel Burke train all off season. I've been saying all off season I think he took way more criticism than he deserved last year. And I think he's going to be one of the best cornerbacks in the country this year. And if he can be that he's going to have a huge impact on his defense. And so I considered going Denzel Burke here, but I am going to go JT to a because we've seen the potential. We saw it in that Penn state game last year for JT to be a real game wrecker for this defense. And now it's a matter of, can he put it all together? And I'm not going to go as far is to say I think he's going to be Chase Young or a Bosa brother because that standard is so high that I'm not going to quite go there in terms of that kind of individual impact but I do think you know, JT if he can put it all together he's going to be one of the best defensive ends in the country he can be an all-American this season and I think that's what Ohio State really needs if it's going to what you think of the defenses that have been elite for Ohio State in recent years They've all started with having that elite game wrecking defensive end up front. And I think JT is the guy they're counting on to be just that.
1: Yeah, um, I fully agree with uh, your stance there. I uh, I there's obvious reasons to pick JT for that spot. And I he it's just about the consistency, you know. Uh outside of that Penn State game, he had one and a half sacks. I, I think was the number. Yeah, he had one and a half sacks. And so, um, you you've gotta you've gotta start getting that production on a week in, week out basis. Um they're super deep on the defensive line though. I think that's something that's maybe wasn't as present um in Chase Young's year in particular, and maybe to a lesser extent uh Joey Bosa uh, and Nick Bosa. Nick Bosa, that was a pretty deep line in, uh, particularly, yeah, in 2017, 2018. They had a very deep group on the defensive line. But, um, and Nick hardly played in 2018, but you get the point there. Uh, they have a lot of guys who could also make a lot of contributions, get a lot of sack production. And so uh, I think that will also contribute to maybe not having a younger Bosa season, but still. A season that, you know, gives him some national recognition and really submits him as a fantastic defensive end. Uh, Now, kind of going on from the MVPs, who are some under the radar guys, Dan, that you're looking at and saying, well, this is a guy that's not getting talked
0: about enough. I think this is a guy that will have a big impact this year. Well, long long time listeners, people listen closely, know that one of my guys is going to be Xavier Johnson because um, I'm a big Xavier Johnson proponent. Every time he got in the game last year, he made plays. And so while I don't know exactly what his role is going to look like because they're so loaded at receiver and running back, I do think just based on what we've seen last year, that's a guy they've got to find a way to get him on the field to make an impact. And I think that if they do, he's going to make an impact. So I'll I'll go go one on both sides of the ball. I'll go Xavier Johnson on offense and then defense. You know, you know, we're gonna go. You know, under the radar, guys that don't get talked about a lot. But I wrote about him this week. I'm gonna go Ty Hamilton as a guy to watch at deep on the defensive line. I think he's a guy that uh, everyone in the program is really high on. I think he's. Gets overshadowed by Mike Hall and, and JT Tuamowau and Jack Sawyer and even, you know, Ty Leek Williams at his own position. But I think Ty Hamilton's a guy that they really like, that they really expect to lead that run-stopping effort up front. And we saw Devon Hamilton late in his career really have that surge and, and become an impact player. I think his younger brother Ty has the same potential to do that for Ohio State this season.
1: Uh certainly don't disagree with you there on Ty. Ty is a guy who, uh, yeah, I think this was the kind of the track record of his development when you looked at just what his brother did and kind of how he's asserted himself and a really solid person on the defense who, even if he's making a big impact, I don't think it'll be one that gets a lot of recognition. He's a guy that's strong at the point of the attack, who eats blocks, does those things as a defensive tackle as someone who played defensive tackle, was a nose guard, uh, that don't get a lot of uh, recognition, don't get a lot of sight from people. But if you're taking on a double team and not getting moved off the ball, that's uh, almost as big of a win as making you know the tackle on a given play because it frees someone else up to do so. Uh, and I think that's something Ty is extremely capable of. And the one technique position is a very intriguing position for me on this defense. And I don't know if that's where Ty is going to play, the majority of the snaps, it might be. I, it's That spot is going to be big in terms of defending the interior run. My guys on offense, I think, I'm not sure this is one you'll agree with, Dan, but I'm going Julian Fleming uh, as an under-the-radar guy. Uh, just, you know, in all the conversation about Marvin and Emeka, and Marvin's the best receiver in college football, I think, and Emeka's certainly a top five, maybe number two behind Marvin, like you were saying. Um those guys, deservedly so, are going to get all the hype. I still think Julian is capable of putting up some really good numbers uh, alongside them. And he had a very solid year last year. But even building on that, because he, I think, this is easily the healthiest he's ever been. Um, when you talk about having some real permanent solutions done, getting screws, getting, you know, bionic shoulders, as Brian Hartline put it. Um, and a guy who really, when you talk about his speed, his size, his development under Heartline, uh, is a guy who can be a real threat to a defense. And if you're going to put all this attention on Marv, put all this attention on Mecca, you can always double team one guy. It's very hard to double team two, but there are ways you maybe shade a person, maybe you can kind of really focus the defense around two guys uh you certainly can't do it for three and if julian has the kind of season i think he's really capable of having it just adds that extra element i mean you see it with the Bengals at the nfl right the fact that they have three receivers you really have to account for it brings that extra element into it right and there's other nfl offenses that are that way and we saw it um, at ohio state in 2021 yes yes great great observation uh on, with, with with Jackson Smith and Jig, with Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave there. On the defensive side, I think I, my pick there is going to be Davison Igbenosan. And look, Denzel is going to be the number one corner for this team. I agree with you when you say he has the potential to be one of the better corners in the country. Um, but Davison's length, Davison's speed and agility at that length is extremely rare um at the cornerback position uh he's the tallest longest corner on ohio state's roster and really that just allows you to contest ball so much and if you know it's going to be a true rotation like knowles was saying you're going to see all three of those corners play and hancock's gotten plenty of hype and i think those he probably starts opposite burke but if Those situations where maybe you slide Hancock over to Nickel when you want a true cover guy, you get Davison on the field then, you rotate Davison then. I think he's a guy that can really lock down receivers uh, with that length and man.
0: Who would have ever thought three years ago that we would be talking about Julian Fleming as an under-the-radar player for Ohio (laughs) State? This is a guy who was the highest-rated wide receiver that Ohio State has ever signed. But that just speaks to the talent in that room with Marvin and Amecha, you know, Carnell Tate, all the hype that he's getting right now. Uh, you know, that it is—it's it, it, true that Julian kind of feels like the forgotten man in that room right now. And I know he would love nothing more than to show everybody this year that he is uh, that guy uh, that, that he was recruited to be, which is one of the best receivers in the country. And if he can become that, it's going to make that new starting quarterback job a heck of a lot. Easier. what one more question here. So I think I already know your answer. Defensively, will Ohio State have a top ten defense in twenty twenty three? Considering you said mm-hmm. you think they're going to be better than the number one ranked defense in twenty nineteen. Assuming yeah, it's safe I,
1: to say, I, I, I said they could be. I didn't say I think they will be. I think I think they could be.
0: <laughs> okay, but do you think Ohio State will have a top ten defense in twenty twenty three? Yes. Yeah, yes, I agree with you. Absolutely, I agree with you. I think I think Ohio State is going to have a top ten defense in twenty twenty three. Now. I hedge that with the caveat of stats do not always tell the whole story of a defense because they could have really good numbers against a lot of good teams and still end up with a top 10 defense and play lousy in the biggest games of the year. I mean, you look at the numbers last year, the overall numbers were not bad. They just didn't play well in the biggest games. And so. You know the more important criteria for this defense is can they get the job done against Michigan? Can they get the job done against Penn State? Can they get the job done in the football playoff? But I do think when we look at the numbers at the end of the year, I think Ohio State's defense is going to be ranked in the top ten in the country. Ohio State's offense has been ranked in the top ten in the country for six straight years. Andy, will Ohio State make it seven? Yes. I agree. I agree. I agree. (laughs) I I think that you you look at all the weapons that Ohio State has at the skill positions. I I do think because of the uncertainty at quarterback and the offensive line, but I I do think this offense might take a slight step back this year. But I still think that at the end of the day, it ends up being a top 10 offense because you look at just the skill position talent. You said, I mean, full stop Ohio State has the best. Wide receiver, running back, combination in the country. They do. And if, if the quarterback and the offensive line can get the job done, then there's no reason why Ohio State shouldn't once again have one of the best offenses in the country. Yeah, no. Uh, top 10 seem uh, –
1: falling outside the top 10 would be a major disappointment for a Ryan Day offense. And again, numbers can be deceiving, right? When you're just looking at total yardage. Well, how many plays were run? Blah blah blah. Um, I, I, but you know, Ohio State's finished in that top three in the country for uh, for several years under Day now. And I, I look, this this offense, like you said, has all the weapons to get it done. Um, I think they're gonna overwhelm a lot of the defenses they play. You and enough to statistically be top ten uh, with 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 some ease. And then it's a matter of. What, again, what do you do in the big games? Can the offense put up those kinds of numbers against the Notre Dames of the world, the Penn States, the Michigans, even Wisconsin? Uh, so uh, that's that's kind of the whole thing with this team, right? You really look at the season and given what happened last year, yeah, you got the job done uh, for 11 weeks, but when you when it came time to beat Michigan laid an egg when it came time to beat Georgia that was a great game the offense played really well in but you gave up the big plays on defense and just didn't quite get the job done so can this team finish the job and do what it needs to do in the biggest games because I think we've we've seen it now Ryan Day's proven he can beat the teams he's supposed to be
0: but before we get out of here uh, we do want to update the the Sammy Sassa situation. We talked about him at the end of last week's show and uh, some unfortunate news that we learned over the weekend as his family put out a statement uh, that said that uh, Sammy currently has uh, severe nerve damage in his spine as a result of the shooting that uh, occurred less than two weeks ago. Uh, near the university district. And unfortunately he's, uh, currently unable to walk on his own. Uh, though doctors are still hopeful for a full recovery, but certainly some sobering news there, you know, we had talked about last week that, you know, we hoped we'd get to see Sammy, uh, wrestle again for the Buckeyes this year and clearly a a long road back for Sammy after that shooting. Uh, But, you know, the good news is uh, the GoFundMe that has been started for Sammy has has already raised more than $100,000. So it's good to see uh, certainly the community, uh, both, you know, the Ohio State community, the wrestling community, really rallying around uh, Sammy, who's, you know, of course, dealing with this very unfortunate situation. Uh, We learned on Tuesday that actually two teenagers, a 16-year-old boy and a 15-year-old girl, had been arrested in connection with that shooting. And so certainly still a developing story there. But I want to once again wish Sammy all the best in terms of of a full recovery, as you certainly uh, hate to see this happen to any Ohio State athlete. And, you know, Sammy's been such a great uh, ambassador for that wrestling program for Ohio State that, you know, you just hate to see him have to deal with something like this.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Again, just, you know, as I've said before, thoughts and condolences, uh, uh, not condolences per se, but, uh, you know, just just thoughts are with Sammy and, uh, you know, really hope for a full recovery from him. Uh, You know, he's strong, tough as nails. You you have to be to compete at the top level of collegiate wrestling like he did. Um, And, you know, just you hope he can pull uh, pull through and, and reach a, be able to walk again. You know, I think that's the main thing. You know, this this goes way beyond sport at this point. Um, and also, you know, just for the people out there, stay safe, right? You know, um, this is something that should never happen to anybody. But, um, yeah, it's, it's especially in a big city like Columbus, there's uh, some scary individuals out there of all ages. And, uh, you know, just, just try and be smart about uh going out at night and those kinds of things
0: well on a happier note we will be able to watch ohio state football this week saturday at 3 30 p.m on cbs andy and i will be there in bloomington to cover the game so make sure you stay tuned with 11 warriors all week long for full coverage of the buckeyes first game and we'll be back next week to talk about everything we saw
1: Yes. Very excited to uh, be back in a college football environment with uh, with the band playing and the crowd rolling. So uh, very much looking forward to it, Dan.